welcome here, everybody. We're glad you're all here. Um, yeah, this morning is, is, is hopefully a time that we trust will be an encouragement to you. We trust it'll be a time that you'll enjoy, that you can feel some connection. We're gonna, there's four of us who are going to share a little bit. And we want to share a bit about what God has been doing in our life, but what God has been doing through, you know, through involvement with church, through our involvement at home. You know, it, it's fairly open as far as how that's going to go. But, but we trust it's a time of encouragement. And so I, I want to just take a moment and I want to pray. And I want to pray for, for people. We're going to have Dan come up first. And, uh, and then Daryl and Diane are going to come up next and share. And then I'm going to share a little bit at the end here. But God, we're thankful for this chance to be here together. We're thankful for this chance to listen and hear, um, God, how you're working in the lives of other people. God, when we see you working in the lives of other people, it challenges us. It encourages us. It builds hope. So God, I pray that you would do that. I pray that as your spirit has evidently been working in other people's lives, God, that we would hunger and thirst for more of that in our own lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Dan, why don't you come up? I've got a little mic here for you. stuff out of the way for you and give you your space here. Good morning. Why don't you just give me a, if, if I'm holding the mic at, a, at an appropriate distance, just give me a thumbs up or, you know, move closer if, uh, if I need to move closer. Sometimes I'm too loud and sometimes I'm there. So, uh, good morning. This is the time I do say good morning, Zach. Thank you. I need a little bit of that today. Um, so I don't have a message. I don't have a mini message. I have a collection of thoughts this morning uh, as in response to the topic of presence. As Paul began the series, he talked about presence, and, and that's kind of where I'm going to be speaking out of this morning uh, in response to that. Um, something that I was thinking of um, years and years ago, I think I was 12, um, my dad took myself and my two closest friends, actually my two older friends in junior high, to a bomber playoff game. And I think, if memory serves me correct, we beat the pants off the Edmonton Eskimos. And the fans were exuberant. The Bombers won a playoff game. I think it was 1984. And the fans stormed the field after the game, and my dad kind of watched, and while well, nobody was getting arrested, so then he let us go on the field too. And that was really cool to be in the presence of greatness, I thought. Willard Reeves, he's right there. And my friend said later, I talked to Willard Reeves. I talked to Willard Reeves, you know. And uh, there's a few other Bomber players that uh, were milling around, and we got to, you know, rejoice with them that they had won, and they were on their way to, I think they went to BC, and they won the Grey Cup that year later on. You know, and that was, when I was 12 years old, that was greatness, right? The best football player in the league, at least I thought, and, uh, and we were right there with him, and we were in his presence. Now, maybe you have other famous people that you would just love to be in their presence. You'd love to be hanging around with them, and you'd love to be, um, you know, right there in the same room, in the same space, and you, you would feel that same kind of feeling that I felt. Well, I think we all know that we grow up from being 12, and we grow up from past those famous people's ideas and sometimes we still have a little bit of that but 
the presence of God is different than a famous person, right? God is, is just so much greater, as Larry was saying, than, than any Willa Greaves or, or anybody that we might be, um, you know, our famous basketball player. Or, you know, last year it was Kawhi Leonard, right? And this year he was somewhere else, and we needed him. But God is just so much bigger than that. And I had a couple of thoughts about that. Um, trying to know God without worshiping is like remote teaching with a dysfunctional camera. Had that this last week. The bits and pieces we will hear are only fragments of the knowledge of God's goodness, of his greatness, his splendor, his majesty, and his grace. We need to train our mind to see so that we can be in his presence and not just hear bits and pieces. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, he was, was he asking the impossible? When he asked them, and us by extension, to pray without ceasing? No. He was asking us to place ourselves in God's presence. Before this message series, it hadn't occurred to me that presence came before formation in a mature Christian's life. Perhaps it's like soaking a seed before sprouting it. I love the term soaking when it ref in reference to worship. Anyways, I wanted to read part of the passage in 1 Thessalonians 5. See if we kind of got it. Rejoice always. Check. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Check. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of Christ God in Christ Jesus for you. Everything. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. That's like preaching. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then verse 23 goes on and starts off with now. And to me, there's a long pause after now because I think as a result of being in God's presence, continues, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and will also do it. Do what? Sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We soak in his praise and presence and in return we get soaked in grace. A few additional verses on reflecting. Psalm 119.15 I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. 119 verse 55. I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. Isaiah 44, 19. The person who made the idol never stopped to reflect. Why, it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest be a god? Should I bow down and worship a piece of wood? Psalm 4.4 Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Psalm 77.12 I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. Psalm 143.5 I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you have done. I reflect on the work of your hands. 
Isaiah 41:22. Let them come and tell us what will happen. Tell us the past events so that we may reflect on them and know the outcome or tell us the future. A little bit of a different thought. Paul preached on being still. Quiet before the Lord. Reading the word. Take your time. Essentially, getting ready for entering presence. The idea of pondering and reflecting. Taking a sin inventory. I did that. It was helpful. Very helpful. Now, it's common sense to check our reflection in the mirror before going out. If we don't like what we see, we change something forthwith. Why are we okay to procrastinate with making spiritual changes when our introspection reveals dirt? Or worse, we don't even stop to check because we don't actually want to know. The old hymn by John Longhurst, Take Time to Be Holy, comes to mind. I'd like to conclude my thoughts with its lyrics. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak. Forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him thou shalt be. Thy friends and thy conduct his likeness shall see. Take time to be holy, let him be thy guide. And run not before him, whatever betide. In joy or in sorrow, still follow the Lord. And looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. Take time to be holy, be calm in thy soul. Each thought and each motive beneath his control. Thus, led by his spirit through fountains of love, thou soon shalt be fitted for service above. Thanks, Dan. I, I really appreciate those thoughts. Just knowing that uh, the time that we spend with God is the time that transforms us, begins to change us, begins to open us up to new things and new opportunities. Daryl and Diane, um, I'll clean this mic before you guys come up. weeks ago, uh, after Paul's sermon, he gave us an assignment, a reading assignment for the week coming, and he gave us five different passages to read on five different days. So on Tuesday, Diane and I were doing our devotions together, and we were reading, uh, going to read this portion, and what we were told to read was uh, first Ephesians 1, verse 15 through 23, I think. But uh, I usually read what comes before and after on, on some of these. And so this is what, this is what the, the paragraph before said. In him we have 
obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So there were a few things that stuck out in my mind that jumped out at me because I've, I was the, or I'm the executor of my dad's will and we've been dealing with estate and inheritance and all that stuff for the past two years. So I don't know, I guess these things just jumped out at me. But the one, the one thing, the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance is a little number four after mine here. So I click on that and it gives you an alternate uh, explanation or whatever of that it says down payment and that really struck me we have the holy spirit in us as a down payment for our inheritance so that all made you know because i distributed some of the inheritance to my brothers before as a down payment and once other you know accounting things were taken care of then we did the rest of it so it all just really clicked with what my experience was in the last two years and uh and i just thought the holy spirit as being this down payment, we don't know, uh, we have an idea of what our inheritance will be, inheritance will be, but another thought I occurred, and if I'm theologically incorrect, I stand to be corrected, but the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit is a down payment of us getting God himself as our inheritance. And I thought, wow, that's actually really amazing. That So anyways, with this... Uh, with the thought that the Holy Spirit is in our lives as a down payment, we need to be paying more attention to him and, and his presence and his work in our lives because that, that, is, that is significant. And the other thing was that, for me, the reason these things jump out at me is because in this church, we're being taught about the Holy Spirit a lot more than I've ever been taught in my life. And so uh, these thoughts and these uh, things about the Holy Spirit's work and presence in our lives is something that I want to work on more and more with us and maybe we maybe there's more of us that need less attention to the spirit in our lives for me um, um, we just want to talk a little bit about um, some of the uh, things that um, we talked about and or that Paul has talked about um, specifically um, I have notes on August 9th, but you know, you know that that matters. Um, I was very encouraged to hear Dan talk about presence, because I'm talking about formation. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought that was interesting. Uh, we've been talking about presence, formation, and witness. Um, and uh, the thing that really has been percolating in my heart and mind is the formation. What does that look like? And um, and what am I being formed into? And what, by our practice, that is what's forming me or, or you know, what, you know, as we spend time in God's presence, will that also help to form my thought and my action. Um, and then again, we are troubled because we have the sin nature that we are constantly battling with. And so 
how do we become how do we become like Christ? How do we follow? And we've been challenged or, or been reminded, I should say, to follow uh, Christ, the way of Jesus, because he says, come follow me. We are to be his followers. We are his apprentices. What does that look like? And following in the way of Christ means we need to know him. We need to understand. We need to spend time with him. And we need to uh, and as you do that, and for me, as I realized that it became evident that I need to uh, surrender, I need to, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Um, anyone who comes after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Um, deny, submit, and surrender. And I, uh, to me, those were just really helpful ways to understand um, submit and surrender. I think deny, we often deny and just want to put things away and deny that it is there. But when we begin to look at things and begin to surrender them and begin to submit to them, submit these things to the Lord, is when God begins to do the work in our hearts and he begins to bring about that change. And um, that's been very powerful. It's been tough. It's been rough. Um, I think we all are, are have experienced difficult. Each for each of us, it's going to be different. What we've had to surrender and what we've had to give up, and how we've had to look at things a different way, and really seek God in how do we live out? How do we become followers of Christ? And our attitudes, and our words, and our hearts have just. Yeah, I've just really, really been impacted by how I need to surrender and I need to pray these things to the Lord and let him do the changing. But it also means taking some action, forming, making some deliberate, um, yeah, actions to intentionally seek to do what is right, denying what I want to do, perhaps, denying what my instinct says and rather choosing to, yeah, sometimes it just means an intentional, deliberate choice, even when my feelings don't lead there. So, yeah, it's been impactful, and um, those are some of the things that I've been learning through this time with Paul for me. There's a, there's a lot of points that have been jumping out to me that I wanna I wanna talk about and and uh, I've been reading through the book of Romans myself in my own time and Romans just puts a lot of these things into perspective that that I'm thinking and so I'm gonna use the book of Romans to kind of talk about some of the things that God's doing in my life and has been doing in my life. So the first point that I want to make for myself is that it's normal me to battle against sin in my life like this is normal I shouldn't be expecting my Christian life to be one where I no longer have a sin battle like that struggle inside of me is normal and it has to be normal let's let's listen to Romans chapter 7 if you guys have your Bibles starting at verse 21 says so I find that this law is at work when I want to do what is good 
What is evil is the only choice I have. My inner being delights in the law uh, of God, but I see a different law at work in my body, a law that fights against the law which my mind approves. It makes me a prisoner to the law of sin, which is at work in my body. When I am un- what an unhappy man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is taking me to death? And it's this internal struggle. I don't know if you guys feel this, but it's this struggle of why is it that it's so hard for me to do the things that I really want to do? Why is it so hard for me to be in that? And, and I think, so the first point for me that I need to learn is I need to accept that, 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 that that's a battle in me. Part of, part of the fact that it's a battle, I guess we can celebrate, which means I believe that there's a different way, right? Because if you don't have that battle, you don't believe there's a different way. You don't believe there's hope. So, so knowing that that battle of sin is a normal piece of our life, I think is an important thing to, to, to grapple. But then, but then what do we do with it? So my second point is, even though I live in this constant state of battle, there is no condemnation against me from God to me. So that, that's a second point that I look at as really key. So let's continue reading here. Um, Thanks be to God who does this through our Lord Jesus Christ. This then is my condition. On my own, I can serve God's law, but only with my mind. Well, my human nature serves the law. And then chapter 8 begins, There is no condemnation now for those who live in union with Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, which brings us life in union with Christ Jesus, has set me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do because human nature was weak, God did. He condemned sin in human nature by sending his own son, who came with a nature like man's sinful nature to do away with sin. God did this so that the righteous demands of the law might be fully satisfied in us who live according to the spirit and not according to the nature. Right? And that's, that's the, the, the joy that I find in this. Yes, I live in a sin battle. Yes, it's a struggle. But you know what? God does not condemn me for this. In fact, he's made a way through this for me. Um, and you know what that way is? That way is all connected to the spirit. And this is what Dan is talking about. One of the side points that I think is important in my own life that I need to point out is when we battle with sin, one of our ways of coping with that sin battle is justification. So that justification can look in one of two ways. Either I look at somebody else and I say, ah, I am thankful I am not so wretched a person as they, right? And we feel good about ourselves. Ah, God's doing work in me. I am not like them. Ooh. Then, 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 I, then I stop and think of that. Or, or like, look at all the good things I've done. God's got to be pleased in me. And then you, you pause again for a second and you realize, oh, anytime it comes to this sense of self-evaluation of how am I doing, we are completely missing the point. Right? I think the point that we have to wrestle with is I am desperately in need of help. Right? And it's the only way you can help somebody. It's the only way you can, that God can begin working in you is when you're truly honest with what's going on inside of you. We need to accept the fact that we're totally lost and we need help to get out of it. Right? Comparison helps nobody. Comparison ruins churches. Comparison separates people. Comparison pushes everything away. Right? Somehow makes us feel like we've done enough or we're good enough. Right? And so I, I know Paul talked about that when he talked about sin. Like we have to accept the fact that we are the worst of the worst. 
right? Like, we're not good enough. We just can't do it. And, and, and so I, I think that's great. I want to read... I want to read this same passage that I just read from the message. It is amazing the way the wording comes out here. So you can follow along again. But I need something more, for I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but in the end, I don't actually do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do what is good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I am at the utter end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Now, isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low, we, we no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded life of brutal tyranny at the, ends of sin, at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the distorted mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it was, was fractured by human nature, could never do that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing it. And now that the law code asked for, or sorry, and now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we instead of redoubling our own efforts simply embrace what the Spirit is doing. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle and never getting around to exercising it in real life. Isn't that what we were talking about? You spend your whole life measuring your own moral muscle. Like, how am I doing? But those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsessed with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious life, free. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed with self ignores God, ends up thinking more about themselves than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed the invisible but clearly present God 
the Spirit of Christ won't know what we're talking about. But for you who's welcomed him and who dwells in you, even though you've still experienced the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you were delivered from that dead life with the spirit living in you. Your body will be alive as Christ's. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. You know, I, I think that's just a beautiful way of wording it. And, and, and then it goes on, and I'm not going to talk about it, but he says, well, then what, what does the life of living in the spirit looks like? It's an honest, childlike faith that says, Papa, what are we doing next? You know, and, th and that's where it ends. It's like, okay, God, what are we doing next? I'm not worried about who I am or what I'm doing or what my life looks like or what's coming next. It's, okay, God, where are we going next? What's next? I'll do the thing that's in front of me, and let's move on. It's just a beautiful picture of what faith really looks like and walking in faith. Right, and that's, so, so then the next point of my own learning, if I want to put it into a concise point, is the answer in my life is to never try harder. The answer is never try harder. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life or your circumstance. When it comes to our spiritual reality, trying harder is never going to produce the results that you need it to try. Right? The answer is living by the Spirit and allowing God to change and transform you, like what Diane was talking about. Right, where you release it and you say, okay, I'm going to surrender and I'm going to let go. So if, it, if the answer is not never try harder, it's probably letting go, submitting, surrendering, giving up, right? So which is the opposite of trying harder. So, so, so now we know, we know it's normal to wrestle with sin. We know that we're not condemned for it. We know that it's an ongoing wrestle in our life. And so sometimes I find myself in this place of just inner groaning. I don't know if that makes sense, where you're just like, ah, I just, I just don't like the way things are. I just don't like the, this challenge, this struggle in me, this difficulty in me, right? And Romans, Romans goes on to give a great, uh, you know, I, I, I love what, what Paul says in Romans. He says, you know, when we don't know what to say, God is there right beside us saying it for us. Right? When we don't know what to pray, when we're wrestling with the sin in our life, we're wrestling with the difficulty, the pain, the brokenness. Romans here continues to talk about it's the entire creation that's waiting, waiting to be set free. Like it's not just humans that are in this. Yes, we are. But it's all of creation that is also waiting to be set free, right? And as creation groans, and as we groan inside ourselves, as this, this like, let's call it a holy discontentment. Is that a fair word? <laughs> Where we're just, I am not happy with this. I don't like having to live in this world that's sin. And yet, you know, to believe that then we have an advocate on our behalf who's standing there beside us, the Holy Spirit saying, Dwayne, I know you don't know what to do. I know you don't know what to say. I don't know what's next. 
but I'm standing here between you and God, and I'm going to go on your behalf to God, and I'm going to ask God to help you in the way that you need help, even though you don't have the words to say to ask for that help. And, and that's just a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit as the helper. So I'm, I'm going to close by reading the end of Romans chapter 8, which I didn't read before. Starting at verse 31, it says, In view of all of this, what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Certainly not God, who did not keep back his own son, but offered him for us. He gave us his son. Will he not also freely give us all things? Who will accuse God's chosen people? God himself declares them not guilty. Who then will condemn them? Not Christ Jesus who died, or rather who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God, pleading with him for us. Who then can separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble do it, or hardship, or persecution, or hunger, or poverty, or danger, or death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are in danger of death at all times, we are treated like sheep that are going to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am certain that nothing can separate us from his love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, neither heavenly rulers or powers, neither the present nor the future, neither the world above or the world below. There is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, and that, that's the place where I want to end. It's like, yes, I battle with sin. Yes, it's a constant struggle in my life. I can accept the fact that I'm not condemned. But I, I think the beautiful end part of it is, is just God's abundant love that he has for me. Right? And I, now I can embrace and I can recognize and I can live in his love, knowing that he's good, knowing that nothing can separate me from God's love. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm connecting presence and formation together as, as I talk about this because we so desperately need God's presence as, as, as we walk through this life. And yet we so desperately need to understand his deep and his unending love for us. Amen. I was just thinking through all the the sharing and the just how awesome it is that God speaks to each and every one of us, right? And He He knows each and every one of us, and He knows what we what we need, <laughs> and He knows how to meet us in those places. I love you, Lord. Goodness 
Thank you. 